chocolate donut. on the track, Chocolate donut, maple syrup, glazing donut, pumpkin donut, Dunkin' donut, bars of donuts, sprinkle donuts, football donuts, hazel donut, candy donut, Texas donut, Philly donut, jelly donut, crispy donut, powder donut. Madonna, maple syrup, gotta go and get that rib Rolling blunts and smoking purple Got the gas and make you workle Cough until you see in circles Hershey dipping, we be sitting Caramel saving, we be sipping Sugar rushing, we be running I was tripping for a minute I thought I was losing interest Dunkin' Donuts on my hit list Running up that Hello everyone, thank you again for joining me uh, This is Russell Ibarra, the Master Enchilada Roller Coming to you from our corporate offices Here in Houston at the intersection of Shepherd and Bissonette And you were listening to... Donut, and that song there, Donut, uh, the reason I picked it was because I just finished watching a documentary on Amazon Prime that I highly recommend, and uh, that, that song there actually was sung by Yogi Bars, and, but anyway, it was played at the very end of this documentary that I just got through watching a few days ago, and it, it's called The Donut King, and it's a fascinating story about a gentleman who came to the United States in the mid-70s after the Cambodian War. And since the United States was back in the, the Cambodian government back then uh, to fight the, the communists, I guess, uh, when the war was over, the, the United States had to do something with these, uh, with these leaders of the country that would, would have been probably executed uh, had uh, the United States not stepped in to evacuate many of them and, and relocate them here in the United States. A lot of them... I guess they went all over the world, but a lot of them wanted to be uh, wanted to settle here in the United States. And this gentleman here, the Donut King, was about a Cambodian refugee who um, was a, a military official, and so he ended up at I believe it was the, is it Camp Pendleton, which is the one. Anyway, it's the camp in uh, San Diego, and they had to create this tent city of fifty thousand refugees. And the only way you could get out of that camp, um, at least in the beginning was to find a sponsor that would help set you up in the community to get your grounding, I guess, uh, so you could become or assimilate into society. So this gentleman, he finally made it out. A church sponsored him and his family, his wife, and he was uh, he got a job as a custodian. And so he realized early on that he was not going to be able to support his family on a custodian salary, so he went and got some. He went and did some odd jobs here and there, and one of them was pumping gas. And one day he was pumping gas um, somewhere in California, and he smelled something that smelled delicious. And he went and asked uh, or asked someone, "Hey, what is that?" And they said, "Oh, it's donuts. The donut shop next door." So he walked over there, and he wanted the gentleman who owned the shop to train him how to make donuts. And he said, uh, the, "The shop owner said, why 'Why don't you just go work for Winchell's, and they'll teach you free.'" And so that's what he did, and he got his first donut shop, and and he, um, coming from uh, the country he came from, he had some practices that would not be approved here in the United States. For example, whenever people would finish using their stir, their wood stir, uh, for their coffee, you know, for their cream and sugar, and throw it in the trash, when the people would leave, he would pull it out of the trash and clean them and reuse them. And so... Um, you know, to him, it wasn't nothing wrong with it, but obviously there is something wrong with it, and he had to stop. Of course, the corporate uh, office or leaders told him to, to stop doing that practice. But anyway, his story is fascinating because 
what he did uh, after he learned how to make donuts, he went on his own, opened up his own donut shop and named it after his wife, uh, Christy. And so he uh, decided to do the same thing for other refugees that someone did for him, which was sponsor a bunch of families. And what he started doing was helping them uh, open up their own donut shop. And because of this, they were putting a lot of the corporate uh, chain donut shops out of business. And he sponsored... I don't know how many. I don't know the exact number of families, but and the, I'm, I don't. Mean, I'm not even sure they knew how many donut shops he had helped open. But it was approximately sixty-five to seventy donut shops, and he would help them get established. And it, I, I don't know if he got a cut or how he got the cut. They really didn't explain that. Uh, I believe he just tacked on more to the rent or something. But anyway, he grew and grew and became very successful financially and. And then the story took a turn, and it was I didn't see it coming. And so I don't want to spoil it for you because I would rather you watch it. But let me just say um, it was a great story, and uh, it's called The Donut King, and it's on Amazon Prime Video, and I highly recommend watching it. Uh, it's one of those documentaries you can't stop watching because it is each stage of the storytelling is, is fascinating. And it reminds me... Uh, of a um, of a similar story where my parents sponsored a Vietnamese family of 10 back in 1975 to help get them established here in the Houston area. And as a young kid, I see I was probably 14, 15 years old, and seeing my parents do that really was um, a blessing because it, it planted a seed of seeing my parents' generosity toward these refugees, uh, helping them get established. One of them that came over was a Chinese cook. Uh, so anyway, it was just it was it was great to see that. And so, um, yeah, watch it. Uh, go watch it. You will enjoy it. I promise you. So the next thing I want to talk to you about was uh, today is June the 6th. Actually, it's the anniversary of D-Day, uh, D-Day 1944, June the 6th. And uh, when the United States invaded or yeah, basically invaded France uh, to help liberate uh, uh, Europe, Western Europe from the uh, German Nazis. But anyway, um, today I'm actually supposed to be in uh, Santa Fe and I'm not because uh, we had a little detour on our my wife and I's uh, uh, anniversary trip. So. What had happened, uh, I had booked this trip. We, we were going to fly into Albuquerque and fly out of Albuquerque. I'm sorry, fly into Albuquerque and fly out of Santa Fe uh, on Tuesday. But our plans got changed a little bit because Mon- Monica's mother suffered a minor heart attack yesterday. And she's in the hospital now. She's doing fine. Everything's, everything's fine now. But she, um, obviously, that kind of spooked Monica a little bit. And so we changed our plans, canceled everything, and, and came on back early. But the trip starting out was really good because I had booked um, a charter with uh, Jeff Ware at, at Starflight Aviation. And we were going to go on their plane. It's uh, the tail numbers N650SF for Starflight. And um, that one, that particular plane has Wi-Fi, and, that, and I always like booking that one. But a day before we were about to fly out, I, um, I received an email from his assistant, Anne, and she tells me uh, that the plane that we were going to go on uh, is not available. Would it be okay if we went on uh, tail number N651SF? And I said, sure, no, no problem. And, of course, that plane does not have Wi-Fi. But, uh, you know, uh, there's a reason why they, they needed the other plane. I, I don't know what it was. I didn't ask. But I said, fine, sure, go ahead. Not a problem. 
and after all, it's only a it's a, an hour forty minute flight to Albuquerque, so I, I didn't have to have the Wi Fi for that short a flight. So we uh, we get to the airport, and as we pull in and start getting the luggage out, one of the the attendants comes over from the uh, from the FBO, and they uh, they grabbed our luggage, and I said, "Yeah, this is going to the Citation Three, and the Citation Three is an eight seater." And so he looked at me and um, paused. And he said, no, I think you're going on that one. And so we went in uh, tail number N570, um, what was it, DC. And so that was a Gulfstream. And what had happened was the night before, the, the plane that we were scheduled to go on, the, the, the second plane, uh, the one they changed us to, got struck by lightning and put it out of service. So, uh, yeah, put it out of service temporarily. And so we, they had to bump us up to a Gulfstream. So my wife and I, on an anniversary trip, flew to uh, Albuquerque on a G4, and just the two of us in this, I think it sat 16 people, which I don't know what our carbon footprint was, but it couldn't have been too good. And so anyway, we, it was a great trip going there, but of course, we were only on the ground 24 hours later before we had to head back. And heading back, I tried to find a charter back, but there, it was too too short a notice and we want to get back to houston as soon as possible since uh you know we after hearing of the news of monica's mother so we uh we chart we uh charted we we booked a flight on southwest airlines and took the 230 flight out of uh, albuquerque back to houston so we could deal with that or monica could deal with that and she's actually at the hospital now with her mother she had a procedure done, but she's like I said, she's fine, and uh, luckily um, she is. So, but funny, funny story. When I was going through the security, so you know when you go through security, you got to remove your shoes and everything out of your pockets, and put put everything in the little plastic tray or uh, yeah, the tray. And so um, I walked into the scanner that where you raise your arms up high and it just kind of just scans your body, and then you obviously put your arms down and walk back out. And, um, and sometimes it'll show a yellow patch of something on your body, um, indicating that you may have left paper in your pocket. That's why they tell you remove money and everything out of your pockets. And so the, the pa- I had a patch on me, and but the patch wasn't in my pockets or on my clothes. It was my elbow. And I'm thinking to myself, is my elbow that wrinkly now that it actually got picked up by the, uh, the scanner? Uh, that's the only thing I could figure. So, anyway, I thought that was that was hilarious. So, anyway, um, yeah, you know, I'm I'm a huge believer that you know you you can't always control what happens to you, but you can always react uh, how something happens to you. And I was just thinking how here is um, a plane being changed uh, on us from what we wanted to something else, and we agreed to it, and then something better happened for us. And so, you know, uh, you just you just cannot um, not you shouldn't worry about the little things in life. I think you should uh, you know, just focus on what you can control. And, and at the end of the day, that's all I can control was saying yes or no to something. And and obviously there was a reason. But, you know, Britney Spears, not Britney Spears, but uh, Pink has a song that came out way, way back in the early 2000s, I believe. Don't let me get me. And uh, it's a great song. The lyrics are, are, are incredibly powerful for someone of her age at the time that wrote this song. But uh, the lyrics goes, um, you know, every day I fight a war against the mirror. Uh, I can't take the person. I can't take the person staring back at me. I'm a hazard to myself. Don't let me get me. I'm my own worst enemy. And that is so true. Uh, that is so true with everyone. 
No one is ever going to do anything to you as bad as what you're going to do to yourself in time. And that's why you're, you, you are in a constant battle with yourself. You are your own worst enemy, and you always will be. And that's why uh, when you wake up, uh, don't worry too much about out, out external or outside forces uh, affecting your life. It's going to be you. It's just like even um, you know, if a person wants to work out, well, get up and go work out but a lot of times you know we we just we just don't do it for whatever reason you know we control the space for example between our our hands and our mouth yet you know if we're overweight we want to blame whoever whatever but really at the end of the day it's us and so yeah that was a a prime example of taking a, a, a what could have been a negative situation i guess in some ways you know not 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 that charting a plane is negative anyway but the fact that they changed the plane i agree to it and then i got something better and so you know you uh back in 2000 let's see it was 2011 uh we had uh, our gm meeting at the at the uh, gringos in pearland at the original and i had always taken and i may have already shared the story before but i had taken uh, i had been taken in the past a gm or two to las vegas during super bowl weekend it's a lot of fun and so this particular year i wanted to take all of them but so what i did was i um i uh, at the gm meeting we drew a number for the winning GM to join us. So one was already going because of the sales, uh, meeting their sales quota, and the other one was going just out of, out of randomness um, uh, for, for just being there, at, the, at being a GM. So we pass out uh, numbers to all the GMs, and we read the winning number off. And when we read the winning number off, what they all did not know was that they all had the winning number. So when we announced the very last number of the winning combination, they all start jumping up of joy, not realizing why the guy next to him is jumping up of joy, because but they didn't realize they all had won. So that was the first year we actually took all our general managers to Las Vegas during Super Bowl weekend. And so that was also the year that um, a, a freak uh, storm, like kind of what we had recently, uh, a freeze uh, where it just everything got froze. Uh, we, had, we I don't know if we had snow or sleet or what, but... We had this major uh, freeze that came through, and it shut down the airports. And every one of the GMs had already had their their uh, their you know their flights booked and their hotels booked. And so the, uh, this was on a Thursday, and they were all leaving Friday. So on a Thursday, they started receiving text messages that their flights to Vegas was canceled. And so obviously they were disappointed and saddened by this, but. You know, here I was actually when when I got the news that this was happening, I was on my way to the airport, and um, I don't know if I was flying Southwest, but anyway, I was on my way to the airport and uh, heading to Vegas because the airports weren't shut down yet. And so, you know, I felt bad for him. And what I did was I called uh, Jeff Ware again at Starflight, and I said, Jeff, do you have anything that can get my GM to to Las Vegas? And he did. He had a, he had a Gulfstream, so they got to fly out. Uh, to Vegas, all of them, and uh, we all had a great time, and, and they enjoyed the trip so much. For many of them, or for probably for every one of them, it was probably their first trip on a Gulfstream on a G four, and uh, we they had a great time. They didn't want to land because of how how uh, special that that trip was. So anyway, um, that was I wanted to talk to you about that, and also uh, just this morning, well yesterday. So to show you how small the world is, yesterday uh, when we got to 
hobby uh, around 5:30, I uh, ordered a lift, and when um, when I went out to the vehicle, the, the gentleman there says, oh, "You don't recognize me?" And I looked at him again, and uh, his and it was Richard Bass. He was a former general manager of ours, and he was. Um, uh, uh, he was working for Lyft, and he does some other things. He does concrete work and, and concrete work and travel. So he has he's juggling quite a few different businesses right now. But it was really nice seeing him, nice talking to him. And then this morning he texts me to say, um, "I'm not sure if you heard, but uh, Miss Terry Pringle passed away, and uh, this past weekend, and I, and I hadn't heard about that." So Terry Pringle was a bartender at the Gringos in Stafford from about 2002 until approximately 2015, somewhere around there. And uh, a great bartender. The guests loved her, and apparently she had some issues uh, with her colon, and she passed away last Sunday morning at 1222 a.m. And uh, so uh, I had reached out to her, her boyfriend of many, many years, Scott Davidson, and I just told him, look, I'm so sorry to hear that. Let me know if we can do anything for you. Uh, if y'all haven't uh, had a family gathering yet, we would love to cater it, complimentary, of course. And so um, I just let him know that a few minutes ago. So life is short, people. Uh, enjoy it. Uh, enjoy every day with, without regrets. Um, you know, just be grateful uh, if you got out of bed on your own. That's, that's just something that's, uh, you know, we take for granted every day. But the simple things in life, uh, they're so special. And uh, be sure and say, um, tell your parents you love them. And um, just have a, have a great weekend. But anyway, or have a great rest of the week. I'm I don't know what my well my wife and I we actually uh, had sket or made a reservation for dinner at Blue Dorn uh, Monday. So that's what will be for our anniversary today, which is today. And so anyway, thank you so much uh, for listening for these few minutes. And Derek, thank you for putting this up. And this has been another episode of Ten Minutes with the Master Angelotta Roller, Russell Barra. You have a great day. Take care. Bye bye.